Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And this week, we decided to do something a little different, uh, maybe a little less paranormal, but nonetheless is right along kind of the line. I guess this one kind of treads the line a bit, depending on Mm -hmm. uh, the type of show you go to. Uh, But a friend of ours decided to send us a link from uh, Ranker.com. And it was a list of doomed magic acts, uh, acts that ended in tragedy. Uh, you know, basically, these are stories of individuals who tried something for magic and, well, you know, they might not be alive anymore. Uh, so, at least in that sense, it's paranormal. There goes my fear. Yeah, that's something that I actually thought about as I was looking through this is um, with as many theaters that is haunted that are haunted i almost wonder if there's not a link here so well and you know it's the thing about magic uh, magicians you know a lot of this is about defying mystery and we'll see that even in uh the various magicians will around halloween conduct seances and sometimes these seances are legit they're actually trying to contact ghosts others are again more of a a uh, specters thing something that's just kind of uh, a show for people to come and enjoy uh it really just helps to you know they, they bring it together to try to create this fun interactive type of state of creepiness eeriness uh with these ghost contacts uh, but you know one thing that's very interesting of course i think everybody knows the story is that houdini claimed that upon his death he would one day come back uh either to life or at least through uh, a, a medium as a ghost and during a seance. Uh, as far as we know, that has never happened. So I guess that trick didn't quite work out as planned. But nonetheless, I mean, I think magicians and the idea of magic has always kind of played hand in hand with this spiritual world. Right. Um, I mean, Houdini himself was even a spiritualist debunker. Um, I. I... Mm. Did we do a an episode on him and and how he was a debunker? I can't remember now. I don't remember. I I think we might have mentioned it once okay. or twice. I, I know I recall reading uh, about the early spiritists and how mediums were originally trying to pass themselves as being real, and Houdini, along with several others, actually went out of their way to debunk them and actually prove these particular mediums to be frauds. And from that time forward, there's always been this kind of controversy about mediumship and whether or not it's right. real. Uh, you know, but maybe that's something we get into later. If anyone's interested in it, maybe we'll do a whole show on that kind of thing. 
Right. So uh, most people understand that magicians are uh, what we would call illusionists. It's not real magic, if there even is such a thing as real magic. Um, And it's just parlor tricks and uh, ways to trick you into thinking somebody's in danger when really they're not. Um, Reading through this particular article, I had to do... Um, some, some other research just because I've, um, I I was just trying to get a grasp on if there was hauntings kind of linked to this or anything like that. Um, and and we can get into that in a little while. Um, but it, it was fascinating to read through these and to see that there are actually quite a few that have died doing, um, what they loved to do magic tricks. One thing that I wanted to ask you, Eric, about Houdini, because I had this weird false memory in my brain. Do you know how Houdini died? Do I know how he died? Yes. Wasn't it in something he was chained up in? Wasn't it drowning or no? No. Um, and that's something that I had to research because I, I think a lot of people think that, but it was a depiction of him in a movie where he died chained up in his his escape in the in the water chamber um he actually died from a ruptured appendix he was talking to a um a fan and the um the fan had asked him uh the guy's name last name was whitehead had um been talking to Houdini about his physical strength, and he asked if it was true that Houdini could withstand even the mightiest punch to the stomach. Uh, Jack Price, which was a uh, friend of his, then recalled the following as was recorded in Ruth Brandon's book, The Life and Many Deaths of Harry Houdini. Uh, Because actually Houdini almost died in in a trick where he was buried alive as well. Um, and I'm sure this probably he probably skirted the the brinks of death several times with these tricks, but uh, it's quoted. Houdini remarked rather enthusiastically that his stomach could resist much. Thereupon, he Whitehead gave Houdini some very hammer-like blows below the belt, first securing Houdini's permission to strike him. Houdini was reclining at the time with his right side nearest Whitehead, and the said student was more or less bending over him. Whitehead struck at least four times until Houdini gestured him to stop in a mid-punch. Price recalled that Houdini looked as though he was in extreme pain and winced as each blow was struck. Houdini said that he didn't think Whitehead would strike so suddenly, otherwise he would have better prepared himself. Uh, By evening, Houdini was suffering tremendous pain in his abdomen, um, and he was supposed to be performing in Detroit, Michigan, um, at the Garrick Theater the next morning, because uh, he was in Montreal. That's where this incident happened, and he over took an overnight train to Detroit to get this to this next uh, gig, um, and he was. Uh, Diagnosed with acute appendicitis at the hospital, 
the doctor told him that he should uh, cancel the show, and Houdini said, uh, I'll do this show if it's my last, because it was a sold-out show of $15,000 worth of tickets. Um, Houdini carried on with the show on October 24th, despite having a temperature of 104. Uh, They would ice him down before the first and second acts. Uh, when they got finally got to the third act, uh, they finally said, nope, he's done, because he had passed out during the performance. Uh, Houdini still refused to go to the hospital until his wife forced him. A hotel physician was called, followed by his personal physician, who convinced him to go to Grace Hospital at 3 a.m. Um, surgeon removed Harry Houdini's appendix on the afternoon of October 5th, but because he had delayed treatment for so long, his appendix had ruptured and the lining of his stomach was inflamed with peritonitis. Infection spread throughout the, his body. Today, such a malady simply requires a run of antibiotics, but in 1926, antibiotics wouldn't be discovered for another three years. Houdini's bowels became paralyzed and surgery was needed. Um, Houdini received two operations and he was injected with an experimental anti-streptococcal serum. He seemed to recover somewhat, but he quickly relapsed, overcome by sepsis. At 1.26 p.m. on Halloween, Houdini died in his wife's arms. His last words were supposedly, I'm getting tired and I can't fight anymore. Hmm. So some history on Harry Houdini, which was fascinating to me because I thought, like you did, he had died in the tank, and I think they right. depicted him doing so because uh, the the fact that Harry Houdini was felled by appendicitis probably was not what people wanted to hear when Harry Houdini died, that he died doing what he loved, not by something so that made him so fragile. And actually, I also didn't realize Harry Houdini lived to be 52, which was relatively older back then, and I, I was shocked to hear that because I didn't realize he had gotten to 52. I thought he died at a younger age. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. So let's go through these. Uh, I think it's eight or so uh, magicians that died during an act. I'll, I'll have you start. All right. Well, this first act uh, was by, his name is, I think it's Royden Joseph Gilbert Rayson de la Genesta. Um, it's a long name. It actually reminds me, what's that story? Yeah. What is that one story? Um, the Princess Bride. The one guy <laughs> who says his whole name is, <laughs> God, I love that movie. Every time, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. If you watch The Princess Bride or read the book. I can't think of his name, uh, but you know, every time he would come up to an enemy, he would speak his whole name, which is like freaking three sentences long. No, no, no. And uh, are you thinking of Inigo Montoya? Yeah. So it was. He didn't say his whole name. He would say, "My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." That's is what everybody that short? remembers. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it sounds so much longer. It's probably his accent. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. Anyway, you. yeah. So, right in, right in Joseph Gilbert, uh, Raisin de la Gensta, he 
decided to attempt this trick uh, known as the milk can, uh, milk can escape. And this was something that was attempted originally, originally by Houdini. Uh, now, <clears throat> this was in the 1930s. And at the time, the milk was transported from farms in human-sized cans. Now, Janesta's milk can escape involved a secret trapdoor that allowed him to escape despite the locks of the can's opening. Uh, what he didn't know, however, is that the milk can had actually been dropped in root and the escape door was dented and no longer functioned. So he was submerged in the milk can for three minutes before his wife realized that something was wrong. Not used to using the locked door, the crew took another full minute to open the padlocks. For a moment, Janesta rose. He, was, uh, he had regained consciousness but very shortly later, just passed away. Uh, just took on a little too much water. Which begs the question, maybe he had gotten pneumonia from inhaling too much water or something like that and couldn't his body couldn't recover or something. Yeah, something. So this next one is interesting. Uh, Charles Rowan, a.k.a. Carl the, Carr, the magician, uh, had done an act previously where he was strapped in a straitjacket and had a car accelerate toward him at 45 miles per hour uh, from 200 yards away as he executed his escape. Uh, unfortunately, he this is, uh, I, I think, a couple years later, uh, he had done this trick again uh, only he was not as lucky this time. He was a fraction too late, and he was struck by the uh, right wheel of, of the car, and it, he didn't survive. Um, he was in front of a large crowd of spectators, including children. Uh, prior to the stunt, Carr exonerated the driver in writing from, from any responsibility in the unlikely event of his death, which is kind of odd. Right. It is a little odd. Okay, next one. <clears throat> next one is called Madame Delinsky Bit the Bullet. Some of these titles are just <laughs> kind of messed up. Yeah. Uh, so in 1820, a Polish magician lost his wife and unborn child while perform performing the infamous bullet catch trick. We've all seen this. Uh, Penn and Teller do this regularly. Uh, on mm -hmm. TV. Now, during the act, his wife and assistant, Madame Delinsky, was fired at while on stage. Uh, six soldiers were invited on stage to load their guns and to load the rifles. The men were informed to basically bite open the cartridge to add gunpowder in the barrel when they could insert the rest of the, then they could insert the rest of the cartridge. Now, the idea here was that when they actually bit down on the bullet, they would bite the entire bullet, allowing them to fire blanks instead of an actual bullet. Uh, one of the soldiers, however, got a little stage fright and supposedly he had accidentally loaded his gun with the bullet uh, instead of just the cartridge. And when he fired the gun, he fatally shot the pregnant Madame Delinsky on stage in front of, in front of everybody. Yeah, another odd one. Uh, I, I mean, as a, a soldier, 
you see a lot of stuff. To so to get stage fright, just because you're in front of a, a huge amount of people, uh, is a little odd to me. Um, and I'll get into kind of a theory that I have once we finish all these about about these deaths. But okay. very interesting. All right, the next one is about the Great uh, Lafayette uh, from 1911. Uh, his true name was Sigmund Newberger. Uh, he was performing one of his most famous acts called The Lion's Bride in Edinburgh. In the trick, Lafayette was to be sacrificed to his giant 400-pound lion on stage. At the last second, however, Lafayette was to switch places and reveal reveal himself to be in costume as the lion. Much of his stage decor was made up of oriental tenting and Chinese paper lanterns, and one such lantern caught fire during the act. The entire stage became engulfed in flames. Lafayette was so paranoid about his tricks that three of the four exits backstage were locked, leaving only one exit open to his large cast and crew. Eleven people died, including Lafayette, who reportedly escaped and then returned to the blaze to save his beloved horse. After the cremation of his body, Lafayette was again found under a trap door beneath the stage. It was only then that Lafayette's secret was revealed. He used a body double, and the real Lafayette had been stuck under the stage during the fire. That's kind of crazy. Can you imagine the people who found him? Like, whoa, right. what just happened? <laughs> That's a crazy trick. He pulled it off. <laughs> oh, man. So this next one's kind of... It reminds me of like the stories from like Halloween candy. Don't, you know, don't be careful of what candy you eat on Halloween. There might be razor blades in them, you know? Right. Uh, This one, this one's with professional magician uh, Vivian Hensley. He was actually a dentist from Australia, uh, but that didn't stop him from performing a few tricks uh, to his wife and son in 1938, specifically the trick that involved swallowing a razor blade. Now, in Hensley's original stunt, he pretended to drop the blade down his throat while secretly stashing it up his sleeve. But he slipped up and accidentally swallowed the instrument. Now, Hensley's doctor fed him some cotton wool and performed an operation to attempt to locate the razor. Unfortunately, the surgeons weren't able to find it, and Hensley passed from his injuries a few days later. Which. I mean, in the picture that is in this article, it's a it's a huge straight blade razor. Um, if they weren't able to find it, it would have to have been a small razor, <laughs> yeah. not this huge thing for him to swallow. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of weird. How do you not? Find, they could only be in so many places. How do you not find right. it? It's probably because they fed them all that cotton. Maybe, and and it blocked. Uh, where they were looking. All right. Next one is magician Joe Burris. Uh, he wanted to outdo his uh, personal hero, again, Harry Houdini, who had nearly died while performing a buried alive trick. So on Halloween 1990, the anniversary of Houdini's death, Burris attempted his own version of the trick at an amusement park. He was handcuffed, wrapped in chains, locked inside of a plastic and glass coffin, 
and lowered into a seven-foot hole, at which point his crew threw seven tons of dirt and wet cement on top of the coffin. Before he could even attempt his escape, the weight of the mixture, obviously, the coffin and uh, on top of the coffin, and it collapsed on top of Burris, who immediately passed from his injuries. I mean, how do they know it was immediate, though? Uh, probably after they exhumed him. Uh, they can tell by lividity, uh, which would be approximate time of death, and if it was only a couple minutes later, it would only be apparent. Okay. Or maybe a couple seconds later, even. Mm -hmm. So, Chung Lee Su was shot while on stage. Yet another victim of this bullet catch game. Uh, You'd be surprised, uh, and probably not surprised, at how many people die during the bullet catch game yeah that was one thing i noticed during this article i mentioned to shelly i'm like you would be surprised how many people have died from doing this this i don't want to look it up because i'm sure a ton of people died with the whole like shooting the arrow the apple off someone's head with an arrow i bet a ton of people crazy man um so chung lee su was shot and killed during his performance of condemned to death by boxer uh in 1918 the performer failed to properly clean out the gun and residual gunpowder ended up firing an actual bullet. Now, this famous Chinese magician wasn't actually Chinese at all. Well, that's weird. He was originally a magician's assistant named William Robinson, who had an awkward stage presence. Now, his solution was to copy the act of a Chinese magician named Xingling Fu. Uh, he then used the persona as a way to avoid speaking during performances and even continued to act off, the act off stage, using an interpreter everywhere he went. When he was shot, he actually broke character and spoke out in English for the first time, saying, Oh my God, something's happened. Lower the curtain. Well, if you look at his picture, you can clearly tell that he is not Chinese. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can see him squinting to try, though. That's kind of right. He should be ashamed of himself. <laughs> and this link will be for you, uh, there for you guys to take a look at. Uh, I I highly suggest looking at the the pictures on top of the article because they're actually rather interesting. Uh, next one is uh, Jeff Rayburn. Hopper. Uh, in 1984, Jeff Rayburn Hopper was rehearsing a trick for his afternoon show in Winona Lake, Indiana. His trick involved escaping from chains while submerged in open water, which was a, another Houdini act. Uh, he jumped into the water about 100 yards from shore and actually managed to get all of his chains off. However, he started popping up to the surface, yelling to his assistant for help. His Uh, High winds at the time made rescuing him impossible, and he drowned in just six feet of water. But we don't know what really happened. Yeah, why was he? Why was he screaming? Did a chain grab him and start towing him under, or what? Jaws was in the wrong place. He took the wrong chain. (laughs) He's supposed to take the barrel, but he took the man. (laughs) Maybe. 
<clears throat> so two more here. The next one here, uh, Johan Miller. He's a Swedish magician who went by the name of Bella Brega. Uh, he was touring in Brazil in 1900 when he bought a trick from a fellow performer known as the Moth and the Flame. The act used pyrotechnics to make assistants, in this case, six women dressed like moths, vanish into a candle flame. Now, the flame required ga a gas supply, uh, which wasn't readily available in Latin America at the time. So, as an alternative, he purchased gas bags of, I think it's acetylene? Acetylene? Do you know how to pronounce that? Uh, acetylene? Acetylene. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he bought, purchased bags of gas uh, that he could easily transport to any stage he chose. Now, when Bella... Bella Brega uh, was setting up for the show, one of the bags exploded. Bella Brega and his assistant died in the explosion as witnessed by the cast and crew. The accident also severely injured his manager. It's important yeah, to you're... follow the directions, guys. <laughs> and you don't injure your manager. Jeez, that's just a lawsuit waiting to happen for the family. I was going to say, how's he going to sue him? <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, last one. Arnold Buck was shot in the head with a nail. Um, magician Arnold Buck's claim to notoriety is that he's also on the list of the bullet catch victims. But this time, it was an audience member who was to blame. In 1840, Buck invited a volunteer on stage at the Queen's Theatre in London to shoot the gun for his performance when Burris refused to reload the weapon and present the alleged bullet, the volunteer spitefully inserted some nails into the barrel of the gun. The prank turned murder ended with Buck's unexpected death. The assistant showed the real bullet to the audience, announcing that something else was put into the barrel. Question. Where did this dude get the nails from? He just walks around with a pocket of nails? I mean, if he was a farmer or something, man, they carry a bunch of crap in their pockets. Maybe. I think this is this is uh, a conspiracy here because I think this guy knew he's going to be chosen from the crowd. Happened to have the nails on him on purpose so that when he got on stage, he could kill him and claim it all as an accident. Just saying. I'm glad you bring that up because that brings us to my theory. Okay. Now, even today, but even more so back in the early 18 and 1900s, uh, magicians would scout out their their competition and sometimes uh, even try and be chosen to, to go on stage. Um, what was common practice was to try and um, sabotage your competition so that their act goes wrong and, and you expose them and then you could steal their tricks or whatever. Uh, not saying that this is the case in any or all of these acts uh, that we read today. But it was kind of common practice that you would try and get rid of your competition in, in right. magic. So who knows? Uh, like the one with Janesta where the 
milk can was damaged. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say in this article how it was damaged. It just on the ride there, it, it got damaged. Um, same thing with the uh, Madame Delinsky. The soldier supposedly gets stage fright and shoots the woman um, accidentally, quote unquote. Was he maybe paid off by another magician to do so and just came up with this story? Uh, the one with the, uh, the Great Lafayette, I'm not sure on that one because uh, it was paper lanterns. I honestly don't know how paper lanterns work. So I would feel that these lanterns would catch fire more times than not, but maybe I'm mistaken on that one. Um, the razor blade thing, uh, probably just pure accident because he would pocket it, the, the razor blade, and then in his sleeve, and then accidentally coming out and swallowing it makes a lot of sense. Um, Joe Burris sounds like pure stupidity in my opinion. I don't know about you, Eric, but when you put wet cement on top of dirt, I feel that that's just going to give way. I mean, not to mention that your case is made of plastic and glass. Right. And this isn't <laughs> steel we're talking about, right? right. It would force. I mean, even then it wouldn't make sense because what, what year was that? 1990. No, so 1990. I mean, you could have put cameras on the outside, I suppose, if you wanted and kind of have like a glass on the side. Um, but even then, like, seems got to be made out of steel these days. Like, if I'm not mistaken, when you watch like uh, Chris Angel or David Blaine, when they do that kind of stunt, they're using temper or not tempered. They're using like a like a bulletproof glass, something that's double, triple planed, super strong, but it's laced in steel and bolted. Uh, so it has a frame that's very strong to begin with, so it doesn't crush. But they're also using glass that's going to withstand, usually, the amount of pressure that's being placed on it. Uh, assuming, of course, there's no weaknesses in the structure, which unfortunately happens. Uh, but, you know, mm. I guess that's the risk. Right. Uh, the one with uh, Chungling So. Again, in my opinion, this could have been tampering because they say the performer failed to properly clean out the gun. How did they know that? Did he somehow admit it before he died? Because right. it almost sounds like his last words were, oh my God, something's happened, lower the curtain. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the, the thing with Jeff Rayburn Hopper, to me, uh, sounds like possibly an accident, like I mentioned earlier. Maybe he got off the chains and maybe as they floated down or something, caught his foot and towed him under. Not really sure on that one. Um, Bella Brega. Um, yeah, that one I think is total stupidity again because he didn't follow directions. And um, Arnold Buck, I mean, quite obviously was not an accident. This That was pure homicide because somebody was... PO'd because he wouldn't show the trick. Right. So. Yeah, I think we can both agree on that one. 
<laughs> um, all right. So we are at a pretty good point here where we can take a quick break um, and then we can kind of get into some other stuff about all of this and why we decided to do this the episode on this. But uh, you're going to hear Eric's random fact of the day and a quick commercial and we will be right back. with. Hi, this is comedian and writer and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Did you know that when flamingos are born, their feathers are grayish-white? According to Parade.com, the only reason that flamingos' feathers are actually pink is because of a chemical called carotenoids, which are found in foods such as algae and fish that the flamingos eat. This was Eric's random fact of the day. Hey everyone, I'm Kat Ward, host of Paranormal Heart. Join me on the second and last Sunday of each month as I speak to people who share their paranormal experiences. We talk about ghosts, cryptids, aliens and UFOs, and so much more. You can follow me on Podbean, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and any place you find fine podcasts. back to Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we've been talking about basically magician acts gone wrong. Magic yep. acts. Um, but now it's time to get into some more ghostly affairs. So Justin, I know you said you had done some research to see how this kind of all connects. So I'll just give it off to you, man. Yeah, um, I, I, tr- I tried to search um, just different um different uh places that that magicians would have been performing and i I couldn't find anything that was the the same uh theaters or anything that these particular magicians had uh done their acts at Uh, i i had just this weird feeling that somehow these deaths or maybe other magicians deaths 
uh, could be connected to haunted theaters. I couldn't find anything specifically to that, but I do know for sure that there are several theaters that are haunted throughout the U.S., let alone throughout the world. So, and a lot of these would have been tragic, um, almost uh, instant deaths. So, in my opinion, could have caused either a residual haunting or a haunting, uh, a, an intelligent haunting. So, I, I was hoping for for way more uh, information to to bring to the table for that, but it was just more so again a theory of mine, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to back it up with a whole lot of data as far as these particular cases. But hmm. Well, it's interesting because, like, like there are a lot of theaters that are haunted throughout mm-hmm. throughout the country and throughout the world, for that matter. Um, and you have to question, like, why? Why theaters? And the only thing I can really think of is, at least depending on the theater, there's a lot of emotion being expressed there, uh, especially right. drama. Most theaters are doing dramas or comedies. And, you know, we're not talking about the typical comedy uh, where it's ha-ha, but more of the... Uh, the surreal comedy, the darker comedies, uh, you know, things like that. So there's a lot of deep, darker emotion that is happening on stage. And that kind of emotion, as we've mentioned in the past, can really kind of build up this spiritual, um, this spiritual wall, uh, this atmosphere uh, that just mm-hmm. these ghosts can feed off of. And so it's possible also that when somebody passes away who maybe has gone to the theater regularly or even performed there, uh, they just end up being attached because it's kind of like their home in a way. Uh, It's a place where maybe they felt their freest or felt the most confidence, uh, felt the most loved. Uh, So, you know, if they're not going to heaven or wherever, they end up right back at the theater. And that is, of course, excluding the 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 option, the idea that maybe these spirits, whoever the person was was actually killed or died uh, of natural causes there at the theater as well yeah and i i actually now that you say that i think it that's a good point um that even if people don't die there you're, you're creating a lot of emotional energy there um and i mean let's be honest um your your sister is a fan of more so Broadway or stage plays c- compared to movies as far as acting in them. Um, and a, a lot of times uh, stage actors, I, in my personal opinion, I think they get way more into their roles and attached to those roles than than actors. Unless you're you're playing a role like, for example, Harry Potter. Uh, that kid has been known for harry potter and he will be known for as playing as harry potter for the rest of his life just because it was an iconic role but um i i think that as a stage actor you because you're not having as much uh special effects and stuff like that to add to to uh the energy of the show you have to really overact and, and put in a lot more emotion. I, maybe that's just my opinion. I, I hope somebody voices theirs and and tells me if I'm wrong because I am not an actor, so I don't know for sure. But 
and maybe you can speak on that, Eric, if you've seen it or, or feel that way too. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the big thing here is um, like actors who are in movies, you know, a lot of their scenes are more condensed, smaller uh, groups of people that are watching them. The emotion, though very intense is typically quieter. Uh, it's more centralized. Whereas in a stage performance, you have to actually, um, so you have to kind of like push your voice. So even when, you know, if it's something happy or something sad or something angry or something uh, secretive, you have to really project your voice and exert a lot of energy in order to get the emotion across, both in the voice, but also in the face. Because there are people, you know, those of us sitting way in the back might not see what an mm. actor looks like. But if you're sitting in the front row, they're likely putting on a crazy good performance. And if you can watch videos uh, or just tapings of live shows where you can actually see that. And I think exerting that type of energy, being able to vocalize in a projective kind of way, uh, that's just allowing more energy to flow uh, at the given time, which can generate more, more energy for a spirit or something to feed off of. Uh, whereas again, inside like a closed studio production you're kind of central your voice is pulled back these microphones can pick up the slightest bit of sound so you're not as uh projective with your with your dialogue it's much more laid back in a way right so interesting fact uh, another one from me um in uh, one of the the last three uh, Star Wars movies that they I, I think it was the last Jedi, um, uh, or maybe it was the Force Awakens. Either one of those two, I can't remember. But I, I had seen a video where Mark Hamill actually uh, broke down on um, while while filming because he he was he felt the emotion of Luke Skywalker during this particular scene. Um, I believe it was when his, his Jedi, uh, younglings that he was teaching got murdered by Kylo Ren. And, um, I, I thought that was kind of fascinating because you don't hear that very often about, uh, movie actors getting so into the role that, that they break down. Um, yeah, I, I guess it, it really depends on on the character and how deep they get into it. You know, there there are characters who uh, or actors who take on the roles. Uh, these are people who actually become like Keith Ledger, for example, was known mm, for that. Right. Uh, when he played, actually, sadly, uh, one of the reasons he even passed away was due to depression that he actually garnered from playing the Joker in The Dark Knight. Um, he allowed himself to get so deep into character that he became that character both on on set and offset. Every single day he was the Joker, and it brought him really low. He ended up on antidepressants, and that obviously eventually uh, he overdosed accidentally. And it, in my opinion, you know, it, it's not the best way to go about uh, performing. You know, we, when you're right. taking on it, I under like I think a lot of actors think that if they do that, um, they can give a better performance. They can bring that actor to life better because if you are the 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 character, well, 
then the character is going to show up. Whereas people who might live their normal lives on the outside and then switch to character on set, maybe they don't deliver the same emotion that these other actors can. Now that's of course all speculation and that's up to, for debate. It's really just actor to actor based. Uh, it's really just their preference of how they prefer to work. Uh, but you know, like some people, you know, we've heard that we've heard, you know, like you just said with Mark Hamill, uh, Matthew McConaughey has done it. Uh, you know, there are, there are a number of actors who have read a script and realized, wow, this is really deep. This is emotional. And they do, they cry on set or, you know, they just take a moment. They have to be, be silent. All right. So there's a show that recently came out, I believe. Yeah. It was on Amazon prime. Um, and this particular show, it's called The Underground Railroad. Uh, the act or the director, oh, Barry Jenkins. That's right. So director Barry Jenkins, uh, he's done quite a bit of things over the last couple of years, actually. Uh, but he, I actually heard him on NPR just a few days ago. And he, he was talking about uh, producing this television series called The Underground Railroad. And it's actually based off of a book, uh, which basically follows a, uh, a group of people. In fact, real quick, this is just a small synopsis. After escaping a Georgia plantation, Cora, young girl, uh, boards a train embarking on a harrowing trip as she seeks true freedom while being hunted by a notorious slave catcher. The idea during this show is that depending on the place she goes, she experiences different types of people, uh, white and black. Some are slave owners. Some are trying to help slaves escape. Uh, and she starts seeing all these different, this type of you know, different cultures. Uh, but anyway, there's this one episode uh, early on where they have to film a scene from the book where this man is, I believe he's hung and I don't know if he's hung and set on fire, I think, or something like that. And they shot the scene and Barry Jenkins, he didn't say anything or do anything. He just stopped and walked off set, disappeared for several minutes because he became so emotional at the idea behind of the realism of a scene like that, of what actually happened to slaves back then. Uh, for even not even like bad crimes. These are like stupid things, mm -hmm. right? That they were, you know, these slaves are just killed for. Um, and so that's like just one of those things where these directors, even these writers, they'll take a moment to really realize, wow, this is like, I'm not there, but we're filming this. And this is based on a reality. And when you mm -hmm. see it all come together, it, you know, in your own view, you realize how hard of a time that was back then and so i think a lot of people especially those who are working on these dra dramas especially uh these these um these based on true events dramas uh they tend to feel it a lot more than the made-up stories yeah for sure um and it, it's it's interesting to see people that are famous uh, have emotion like that because I, I think as, as I guess you could call us the normal folk, um, we, we kind of get this idea that famous people aren't, I shouldn't say not human, but they, they, they don't have the same emotion, emotional uh, 
attachment like we do. And to see actual actors and, and directors breaking down like that, it, it's fascinating to me just because you don't get to see that very often. Um, right. But well, I think it's because we're always seeing these people in character, you know, as right. opposed to. Right. Going back to this, the the magic act's gone wrong really quick uh, before we finish up. Something that uh, also had occurred to me going through the these different uh, deaths. And Eric, you can you can chime in um, or or correct me if I'm wrong, but um, another thing that was happening sometimes in the limelight is people faking their deaths. So. Mm. I, I mean, some of these in, in this particular one uh, article, obviously uh, there are multiple witnesses and, and whatnot. Um, the one that caught my eye and made me think about this is the, the great Lafayette where he died in a fire and, and his body was discovered later. And it was his body double that escaped, you know, going to rescue the horse. But, were these guys identical where they would have known that the, uh, or where they wouldn't have known that the real Lafayette died. They, they were just assuming, or was this body double really distinguishedly different in, in, uh, looks that, that they knew the difference or how did they know that the real Lafayette was, that was his body? Yeah. I mean, I think it's very possible. I mean, when you consider, something like a fire I mean, there's a lot of soot on their face uh most likely you know a, a number of different contortions from the type of uh death that would they would probably experience and of course uh you have to question were they i mean was their body still healthy like in the sense that their skin wasn't gross but it wasn't like melting off of their bones you know if they were right. in fire so there are obviously a number of things that uh, could have misled people and not to mention that it was such a chaotic time for that event. People are probably like, all right, get them out. Okay. There's, they're safe. Cool. They're not. Okay. Well, let's go find somebody else. Um, you know, and that's the type of thing that just happened. And when they opened up, opened that door, they realized, Oh, we need to take a closer look. Um, I wouldn't doubt that they maybe looked in there and realized, uh, maybe they didn't realize right away. Maybe they realized later. My guess is because he was under the trap door. Maybe he didn't die from fire, but instead died from smoke. Smoke inhalation. Um, yeah. Inhalation. So it's possible when they opened the door, they knew immediately that's who it was. Uh, and then realized, well, the other guy then must have been the body double. Uh, right. You know, because, I mean, it's very rare to find a body double that looks exact. You know, like you, you can right. look online and you can see actors and their body doubles. Like there's one going around Facebook right now of like various actors with their body doubles. I think it's like Chris Hemsworth and his body double, Tom Cruise, his body double. And then there's Jackie Chan just sitting by himself. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I've, I've know, seen so, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it, I, there's there's definitely definitely similarities. And I think depending on the circumstance, it'd be hard to tell them apart. But in most cases, it's should be pretty easy. Right. to tell. Well, and unfortunately, I, I'm th this idea kind of comes from a, a pure fiction because uh, uh, have you ever seen the movie The Prestige? Yes. 
Um, I'm I'm kind of getting that idea from that. Where spoiler alert, guys, if you haven't seen the Prestige, uh, it's two twin it's twin brothers who are doing a magic act, trying to travel the U.S. Um, and then they come across a another magician, and they kind of pair up and whatnot. And then the, there's all this uh, uh, backstabbing and everything. And eventually, this other magician finds somebody that looks exactly like him obviously the same person but playing the character the other character but Mm -hmm. that and i i know for sure that people have probably faked their their deaths or we we have come to find that they've faked their deaths um just to get out of the limelight but is it possible uh maybe not in these particular cases maybe in other cases the you know the body double died uh, and the real person walked away or something i don't know but that was the that was another thought i had so sure um any other uh opinions or ideas on this um read the instructions if you're going to do a magic trick if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a trick yeah (laughs) 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 <laughs> which surprises me because like a, a lot of magicians back in the day were were trying to come up with their their own i mean i'm sure there was a right. ca- many cases where they bought them from areas that were not necessarily always traveled to like china or something like that but uh yeah it, it, if you're gonna do a trick read the instructions uh even if you're buying the at home magic shows make sure you read the instructions so your kid's not choking on the ball when they're trying to do the trick or anything like that make sure they're of the age right. um i i guess really quick in your opinion um could could these deaths have has have caused hauntings in these places that they died absolutely i mean i think any investigator knows uh, that something with this type of dramatic event happening would easily spark plenty enough negative energy to have a haunting. Um, now, whether that energy or that haunting is negative, who knows? It could be a residual haunting. Uh, could be the haunting of whoever is attached there because of the type of death they had. Could also be a much darker haunting uh, based on the event and how it actually progressed. Uh, you know, something like, the person put in the nails in the end of the gun, you know, some on purpose, basically that could cause a really negative haunting. Uh, maybe something that was more of an accident. Maybe not. Who knows? Uh, I, I don't think we're quite at the point of, uh, of the, the research in ghost uh, investigation to say what type of events will cause a certain type of haunting. Uh, right. But for sure, I think there's definitely plenty uh, happening that that could cause a haunting. All right, I, I I something I really wanted to talk about because it it my mind did start going after reading this article on all these different things that I've brought up. So it's it it's interesting to think about. Um, not interesting to think about these people and how they died because these are, were really horrible deaths. But um, it it's something that as 
researchers, not even just paranormal investigators, researchers as a whole, you know, you should really be thinking outside of the box. Of course, paranormal investigation um, and kind of in general, you should kind of be using scientific method to a degree because Eric and I have both talked about how science can help, but the scientific method is also very flawed. Um, but, uh, definitely, uh, take a look at this article. Like I said, the link will be in the, in the show notes. Uh, I'll also provide a link about, uh, Harry Houdini and how he died, how he actually died in the notes as well, because I, I was kind of fascinated and it got my mind going about Harry Houdini because I was like, I, I thought Harry Houdini died doing a magic act. And after right. looking at him, I'm like, yeah, no, he, he died of, I shouldn't say natural causes because a, a guy punching him several times made his appendix rupture. Uh, he probably already had appendicitis to begin with, which made, you know, the punching made it rupture. But right. I, I found that fascinating too. So, but uh, I guess that's about it. So uh, make sure you check out these links. Um, make sure that uh, you're checking out all the shows on New Lantern Media. Um, Paratruth Radio, of course, Beyond Reason, uh, The Vo- the Truth Fox, uh, Paranormal Heart, and let's talk about it. But until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.